Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, as as the tagline of this movie would suggest, this time there's more. Brilliant. <laughs> Gets right to the point. This is the worst tagline I've ever heard. So bad. I don't know what what would be a better let's brainstorm. What's a better tagline for aliens? Uh, Alien, the cat fight. That's not good. This time we fight back. Today we declare our Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, a good movie that we should cover at some point. You're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things, movies, uh, pop culture, maybe some video games. That too. All the things. The things. The stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. We are coming back at you with more from the Alien series. We're going to cover Aliens. Hell yeah. 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 And if you didn't listen to our Alien episode, I wouldn't say it's required listening, but you might want to go back and listen to that one before you come back and give this one a listen. You might. Or you might not. You might. Up to you. Up to you. Just saying. There's more Alien content out there. God damn, I love this movie. (laughs) So, okay. So if you had to pick between the two, if you were on a desert island, you could only have one. Which one would you choose? Aliens. Okay. Alien is the more interesting. It's, you know, it's high cinema to some degree Mm -hmm. in a way that Aliens isn't. But like, man, I'm on a desert island. I want to have some fun. Aliens is a lot more fun. (laughs) Um, It's also. This is probably the first movie that really made me think about movies and like wanting to make movies. Hmm. it was a big part of that. And I had like aliens action figures that we would use in movies, like not stop motion. Cause it was video. You can't really do stop motion on video, but we would do as close to it as we could manage. Um, and then with a lot of explosives, a lot of fireworks and flamethrowers. I think I would take alien because. Okay. There are a couple things in this movie that just annoy the shit out of me. Oh, wow. Do you want to start there? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's characters. It's not like Bill Paxton. I don't think I could watch him for the rest of my life on a desert island. 
Oh, you don't like? Oh, I love him. He's so cool. His character in this movie is not cool. He is whiny and crying yes. and freaking out the whole yes. movie. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. What about Michael Bain? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I like Corporal Corporal Hicks. I like him a lot. Hell yeah. They're all, I mean, they're great cast. Yeah, it's a good cast. It's a really so- solid cast. Bishop played by uh, Lance Hendrickson. Um is great and the resolution that we get on the synthetics is is an awesome touch especially after the first movie and her yes. mistrust of that is is a great note we'll get into the chronological of the movie in a minute but uh if i was choosing right now i would choose alien over aliens fair enough it seems like a lot of people especially and tell me if this is true for you or not especially young men of your age group saw aliens before alien. I probably did. I'm almost certain I did. Right. And alien was like this mythical predecessor that they eventually saw down the line. Yeah. And it's the scarier movie in a lot of ways, right? Like aliens. I, I mean, everybody, it doesn't go well for most of the characters, but it does. The characters are empowered. Like it does present a, a force of, First off, just cool soldier dudes. If you're into like, if you're a little boy and you like cool soldier guys, these are cool soldier guys. Uh, first off. So secondly, uh, great action figure crew right there. Secondly, like um, they fight back, you know, like it's not mm-hmm. a totally like what we were saying about alien unstoppable um, nightmare. Um, just like totally doomed hellscape. Where like there's nothing you can do. This shit's going to kill you. It's not the Terminator. Yeah. These guys fight back. They kill lots of aliens. They kill them left and right. You know, yeah. uh, there mm-hmm. just happens to be many, many more of them. Bigger and better. Well, as as the tagline of this movie would suggest, this time there's more. Brilliant. <laughs> Gets right to the point. This is the worst tagline so. I've ever heard. So bad. <laughs> I don't know what what would be a better let's brainstorm what's a better tagline for aliens uh, alien the cat fight that's not good this time we fight back <laughs> today we declare our independence day <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> also a good movie that we should cover at some point yeah sure absolutely I must have seen that movie five times that summer yeah the first time one. I saw it, everybody stood up and cheered at that scene. Really? <laughs> the whole audience. Wow! It was opening night, I think. <laughs> People were like That's freaking out. Speech. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I'd never seen that before in my life. I was like, what? <laughs> These are crazy. I think I'm in the middle of a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Let's see here. A good one. A good one. Um, man, this must be what happened to them. They didn't. It's tough. This time there's more. Sure. Um, yeah. Is there a play on in space? No one can hear you scream. It's like, oh, that's good. Scream all you want. <laughs> uh, this is my war scream. That yeah. Was- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Show me your war face. Uh, that would be. <laughs> yeah. This time the aliens scream. <laughs> aliens. We'll keep working on it. We'll keep working on it. We did a genocide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, that's a that's misplaced, but it does kind of like to some extent when you start thinking about it, it's just like these five dudes showed up and killed thousands of those motherfuckers. <laughs> just, uh, nuked the whole planet. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoilers abound. 
Uh, well, they nuke the site. You can't nuke a whole planet. I mean, I guess you sure. could, but like, man. Right. Um, so this movie, dire- right, writing and direct. Writing and directored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Writing and directored by James Cameron. Um, you know, one thing that kind of escaped me growing up is that that guy actually writes all of his own movies. He has a top writing credit on, I don't, I, is it almost every single one? Yeah. I can't think of one that he doesn't. Mm, we have to go searching. He's the action author. Terminator 2? No, he wrote that shit. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, Titanic for sure. Do you want to get right into the blow by blow or should we start talking movie trivia? Because I am stuffed to the gills with shit to say about this movie and to share. All right. Well, audience. I like to do the facts first. So let's right. get the facts out of the way because it can, facts, can be hard to get back to. Oh, yeah. So we're going to take Aliens. This off the I actually didn't watch the director's cut of this one. Wise choice. Uh, yeah, I know it's quite a bit. It's quite lengthy. Very much. Um, have you watched it? Yeah, once. I okay. have no desire to ever see it again. We can discuss it. Okay. All right, all right. We'll get to it. Uh, release date, July 18th, 1986. So it's been seven years since the last one. Uh, 20th Century Fox, rated R, two hours, 17 minutes, budget, 8.5 million, grossed 85 domestically and 131 million worldwide. Hell yeah. Director, writer, James Cameron, you said. Um, Dave Giller, Giller, Geiler. Dave Giller and Walter Geiler, Geiler and Walter Hill. I have no idea. No, that sounds that could be right. Also have uh, writing credits on this movie. Sigourney Weaver returns as Ripley. Did not want to come back for the second movie, right. but James Cameron talked her into it. Yep. Michael Bain joins us as Corporal Hicks. Carrie Henn, who is a child actress, joins us as Newt. Paul Reiser, who I have only knew from Mad About You before this movie. Oh, really? He's so <laughs> yeah. good in it, man. This movie doesn't work oh, he's without good. him. He's great in he's this movie, perfect. but you didn't I was see, shocked to see him. You didn't see um, Stranger Things? He's in Stranger Things? Yeah, a lot. Which season? All of them. <laughs> oh. No, he's not the scientist. No, he's the anti-scientist. He's like the government guy that saves Eleven repeatedly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll I for some reason that's not sticking out. He's I'm kind sure of at playing the moment an I thought inversion of, it. of um, Burke because sure Burke is a nice guy who turns out to be awful. You right. know that about Paul Reiser. You meet him on Stranger Things, and he seems like a nice guy, and you think, he's, but he's actually a nice guy. All um, right, all right. So you got Paul Reiser. Uh, Lance Henriksen Lance. comes as, in as Bishop. Yeah, almost the Terminator. Bill, Bill Paxton, who makes me want to turn off this movie as Hudson. Bill Paxton is such a lovable gentleman. Oh, oh I like him. I like him generally, just yeah. in this movie. Uh, William Hope yep. as Gorman and Jan- Janet Gold- Goldstein as Vasquez. There's other people in the movie. Could not do that of- casting today. Really? She's Irish. Oh, in brown face. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did not catch that. I've never heard anybody object to it um, because like, I think she's fucking great at it. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, she has like a thick Irish accent. <laughs> mm. um, and she's such, Irish. She's such a badass, too. Like at no point is she the butt of a. She is the exact opposite of a butt. Of they a try girl. and make one joke at her expense and she throws it right back at him. He Sp- says exactly. 
He says, has anyone ever mistaken you for a man? And she goes, has anyone ever mistaken you for a man? It's no. great. It's even better than that. She just says, no, you. Yeah, or something <laughs> it's like so that. Good. Yeah. It's oh my God. It is a great but Cameron loves tough ladies. He does. He makes them tough. He makes tough um, ladies. Because, okay, Sarah Connor in the first Terminator. She's just surviving. Yeah. Yeah, but it ends in a way it's, that you see that she is a different person by the end. Right. Of the film. But then her years in prison, she's been doing doing her pull-ups and she comes out for Terminator 2 as a total badass. Well, the the first Terminator does end with her in a Jeep like driving into Mexico and yeah, like sure. armed to the teeth and like very yeah. clearly yeah, yeah, yeah. like ready to do some fucking shit. Um somehow she gets arrested. <laughs> <laughs> between she's in an uh, asylum yeah yeah she winds up in an asylum i think probably something with custody i don't know she's trying to raise the alarm that this is coming and yeah. i i think that they've picked her up because she's armed to the teeth probably yeah. <laughs> seems dangerous and unstable kind of an unfit mother situation you know yeah if this if alien and aliens back to back goes well i would love to do terminator terminator too hell yeah those are two of my favorite movies. Other movies I know a lot of facts about. <laughs> yeah, I love those movies so much. Um, there's a but shot in the in interest uh, of not Terminator, getting derailed. Or is it in Terminator? This is your last. This is our last bit about Terminator that we're getting. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm saving we'll it for save, that episode. Yeah. Save it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, um, but other, yeah, even even um, Kate Winslet in Titanic. Badass. You don't think of her, yeah, but she's wanting to break free from the sort of cultural. Um, expectations laid at her feet. However, she, regardless of what she does or doesn't do, she never carries herself in that movie as being like, um, submissive. Like she's no, never she's, she's tough. She's in a, in a, in a, in a life in a world where she's despondent. She has a role to play. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. But like, she's not weak. She's a tough lady. No, she's about to throw herself off the back of a ship in the middle of the Atlantic to avoid being. You that's know, not so tough. I mean, she could have shot made him. A like she could have shot him and then thrown herself off. There's like a lot of things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like if you're gonna, man, if you're gonna throw yourself off the Titanic anyway, there's a lot of things you can do on your way out the door. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, but she toughed it out for the rest of her life, and her husband ended up killing himself. He did. Well, she never ends up marrying him, but that's his story. When he lost all his money in the Wall Street. Cat- crash she kills himself oh oh him cow cow yeah 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 no but she does marry somebody else yes she does <laughs> there's a great read on it too that people point out that, like she spent she says it like i spent every day of the rest of my life thinking about that guy like I'm, that'd be a rough marriage to be in i'm just saying yeah that's not a stuff tough tough to be that guy you know I'm i think just, he made yeah he made her who she was he freed her from her from her I don't know. She freed herself. No, anyway. tough to be the dude who had to marry her after oh, that. Oh, no, I understand. I understand. But then, I think she thought of, that, of him. She secretly got the most valuable diamond in the world. We got bills. She's not helping anybody else out in this family. You got grandkids. Yeah. You just throw that shit off the whatever. <laughs> They're doing fine. They do Are drive they? the point home, though, because in, in her afterlife, she returns to she doesn't go to her family and her husband. She returns to Leonardo oh. DiCaprio on the ship. <laughs> I was like, wait, was there a sequel? <laughs> no, no, the final scene, we see her reunited we with. Oh. oh, yeah. 
There's like some. All right, we can talk about Titanic, I guess, another day too. <laughs> Let's stick to one jam, James Cameron movie at a time. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So crazy things about this movie. Um, one, Cameron uh, was advised strongly, don't do it. Yeah. You know, he had just done Terminator and he had two offers. Terminator 2? Judgment Day? No, the first one, Terminator. Did he do both those? I thought he just did the sequel. No, man, that's he his did both. property. He wrote yeah. it and directed it. from like it's it, it, Terminator was practically an independent mm. film. Um, God damn, okay. girl. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I put him in the, he was like, Sequels that arguably are better than surpass the original, the original. and no, so no, I, no, in no. my head that he's the guy who makes those. No, 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 no. Terminator is got his it. Thing. Um, so he did Terminator, and he had some offers, and they were not like offers he wanted. One was for the sequel to Rambo, um, and one was for a sequel to Alien. And he decided, I will write the Rambo sequel. I will take Alien Two, and everybody told him, don't do that. Because Alien is like one of the great movies. Like it's a, it's a movie everybody remembers. We all love that movie. If this movie fails, you will look like a pretender and it'll ruin and derail mm. your career. If it succeeds, people are going to credit it to Ridley Scott. Instead, he said, no, fuck that. I'm going to write this thing. And he wrote it in a way that's a completely different genre. It's a completely different kind it of movie. It is. Yeah. He put his own mark on it and nobody can make that comparison. I mean, you have to make that comparison, but nobody's going to say it has really other than, you know, there wouldn't be a sequel without the first, you know, there's, they don't compare. Yeah. Alien is horror sci-fi. This is action sci-fi. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's much more action movie. Um, and a love story between Newt and yeah. Yeah. Ripley. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, Cameron will always say <laughs> says that every one of his movies is actually a, a love story. Beautiful. He's a beautiful man. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, what a, a badass movie this is. And honestly, like, so the set pieces are so iconic. Like, this is the world my friends and I imagined ourselves in like that landing at the colony in the rain. Mm -hmm. Like this is where my friends and I imagined ourselves in like every time we were playing in the backyard, <laughs> mm -hmm. like this is where we were and we were too young to see this movie, but we saw it anyway. We were too young sure. to see this movie. It did not matter. We watched, I saw this movie when I was like seven. That, that <laughs> is normal for you. Yeah. I wasn't alone, but yeah, sure. But with, oh, that's, that theme has come up on this podcast many times. Sure. Movies yeah, yeah. that you saw too young. Yeah. Generational divide stuff here. I'm saying I, I, I'm maintaining that that's what it is, uh, even though we're barely a few years apart. So we open up on where we left off finding Ripley. Yeah. They uh -huh. find her. She's been asleep for a really long time. There's all that like glittery space dust. They cut through the door with that. With the lasers. Yeah. So Cameron wanted that laser real bad. Um, 
and there wasn't room in the budget for it. Galen Hurd said that there wasn't a budget for it. And so he just rented it out of his own pocket. And good, because it's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It helps a lot, right? Like that's a he was like, no, we need this. We need this. We need this. And it's yeah. like it sounds dumb, but then you see it, and it's like one of the first things in the movie. And it's such a moment that like sets this tone of, you know. You have a couple beats of feeling like you're back in Ridley Scott's alien. And then that laser puts yeah. you in James Cameron's aliens. Yep. I think that's that's an apt comparison. The other thing, too, is like, I don't know if you were aware of this or not, but like it was not clear that these were good guys that were opening the door the first time mm, it was shown. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that's a factor, too. Um, the people who come in are real mysterious until you start seeing their faces, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we have Ripley. She's been rescued after being adrift in space for apparently 86 years. Is that right? Is it 86? I thought it was 50 plus, but is it longer? It's a really long time. Yeah. So this is where there's a huge, she's having those night. Yeah. You mentioned that she's having nightmares in your notes. She is having those nightmares. There's a huge disconnect here. This is one of the beats that people say makes the director's cut better in the director's cut. There's a lengthier sequence where she f- expl- like finds out that her daughter grew old and died. Mm. I think that the daughter is mentioned briefly in the regular cut, but not in the like she dwells on it. Like it's a big deal. Like right. You see her picture and stuff as like an old woman. And because you get the sense hypersleep is only meant to be a year, maybe something like that, because he makes a really big deal out of we didn't know what was going to happen with someone who had been in hypersleep as long as you had been. Like, it's not right. normal to just float around for 80 years in hypersleep. Right. Exactly. Although, I mean, how fast are their engines? Because, you know, a year here, two years there, it adds up quick, you know? Yeah. So I do think that's like a little bit of a science hole, but I'm not going to question it too much. Um, they don't seem to be moving very fast. They do seem to be slow, spacious. Uh, <laughs> boats. The, uh, uh, but yeah, her daughter has, she never gets to see her daughter again. She grows old, she dies. And then she's having nightmares about these aliens ripping out her fucking insides. Um, and we find out that she's, well, actually, so that's like, I think in the director's cut, you see her going to therapy. You see her mm. learning how to drive a power loader. Um, and it's like so much better to just have Burke come in and and tell us that in a lot of ways. Yeah, you right. Heard you've been doing well in therapy. Heard you've been you got certified. That's great. That's great. I think that's great. You got nothing about. Yeah. Um, and you see, he's like so smarmy even there, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The double tie is this the movie where he's wearing two ties, or is this the movie where they have like weird double collars? There's like some weird future fashion that they're in. Uh, I don't remember. Um long questioning sequence about why you blew up the ship. It was very expensive. You know, yeah. Yeah. Wayland Yutani, not happy. No records, no Rich records. Goes on to a thing. board meeting and yeah, they're, they're mad at her for re- blowing up the ship. They demote her. They remove her from having flight flight status. She's right. Excommunicado. Which is so funny. Like 80 years later, they're still this pissed about it. Uh, yeah, it's like you weren't even involved in whatever happened then. Most likely, you are. This has been passed down to a new generation of the company that have been waiting to question her about her decision. The entire country of America is still pissed that Cuba seized a coke factory. 
factory during the revolution. So sure, sure, sure. I think the equipment that they were moving around and whatever what the fuck they was that they do is expansive shit. Like yeah. wealth of nations stuff. We have to assume that, otherwise it wouldn't matter this much, right? Yeah, right. If the company still exists, they recovered from whatever mistake was made. Yeah. Perceived mistake was made. Yeah, exactly. The um I was thinking about there was like a whole thing with um the age of piracy. Uh, you know, if you were a, a ship's captain at one point and you lost your ship to pirates, you were guilty mm. of a crime, you know? Uh, and there's a, a particular guy, I think it was Calico Jack or uh, Jack Rackham. Yeah. I, if, I think it was him where he lost his ship to pirates and was as a result an outlaw and had no other recourse he felt but to become a pirate because yep. it was like punishable by death. That makes sense. <laughs> you set up, you know, that's a bad law. It was written poorly and it set up all the wrong incentives. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. And they, of course, they don't believe her. No one's ever seen that. I love that woman, uh, you know, in, in over 80 or 100 years of space operations, no one's ever recorded, never seen any creature like the one year with acid for blood. No one's yeah. seen anything like this. And in fact, they've colonized the planet that she's talking about. LV246. Haven't had any problems. That's the other thing that's in the director's cut is a lengthy sequence. Yeah, I read that. Of LV246 as an operating colony and finding out that they've found something dangerous. You know, you okay. go back to the original derelict spaceship and stuff. Um, and it's sort of this moment of foreboding. It's dumb. It's so. Oh, you think it's unnecessary? It's so unnecessary. That's part of the director's cut. It's it's obviously unnecessary because the movie was a huge success without it. So, right. you know, like I feel like the proof's in the pudding there. It didn't need it for the movie to work at all. Yeah, I was trying to imagine it in there because it is a shocking moment to hear that the planet has been colonized almost to the extent of like, is she crazy? Did she imagine this? Like, oh, yeah. Certainly they wouldn't have been able to get that far without problems, but right. they have. So something's amiss here. Planets are big. Sure. You know, I could colonize North America and not even know that China exists if I came from <laughs> outer space. In theory. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a it's a spaceship on a planet. So over 80 years, it would be surprising that we don't know when they colonized it. It was sometime right. in the intervening 80 years. I, I, I think it was actually somewhat recent as well as what the idea was. Uh, there's families living there, et cetera, et cetera. The, there are uh, so many reasons why I hate that. I, one, it's just unnecessary exposition. And I think that doesn't help the movie. It doesn't serve the script. I'm so glad it was taken out. And this is to James Cameron's discredit because he liked it. He shot it. He wanted it in the movie. Gail Ann Hurd is the one who said, cut it out. So he cut it back in. He made a director's cut with it. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if he stands by it or not. I mean, it was a good way to make more money on the project. Right. So, sure. I mean, I've heard him say that it was, uh, Obviously, I've heard him praise the theatrical cut. It doesn't mean that he likes it better than the director's cut. I don't know. Um, but it was Gail Ann Hurt who figured out we can cut this movie, the entire second reel, this entire 20 minutes of movie can come out clean. That's a mm-hmm. 20 minutes yeah. is a big chunk of movie mm-hmm. to be able to remove. I struggle sometimes to remove a minute and a half from an episode of How to Drink. If you can do that, yeah, you've you've overtold your story. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um but you know, probably good. It was good work for him to figure out all that yeah. background stuff. Plus, all all this, you haven't even gotten to what you talk about loving so much about this movie, which is the military faction, and you know that's what I love. About real it. exciting. Well, well, you said kid, if you're a kid who loves, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know, for a kid watching this movie, I think you probably tune out if you haven't gotten gotten there yet. Uh, yeah, it gets long. For a teenager. That's a good point. And then uh, they're going to go back. They ask her, listen, we lost contact with that colony. You're an expert on what you say is down there. We want you to go. I'm not right. going. But we're going to send you with a bunch of Marines. You're going to get to kill them all. Only if we can kill them all. Yeah. Right. And then he like really lays into it. Like he gets so like, don't you think this would be good for your healing? He starts to use and he weaponizes some therapy talk on her. Like the yeah. kids are saying now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just think that, you know, you're, you got to self-actualize and go down there and kill those things. Yeah. I was hearing some commentary being like, why, why would she have enough expertise? Why would they want her? Why would she be useful? She's not useful doing anything else. Well, yeah. And she's the only thing that's actually seen these creatures right. too. And like, is there a possibility that they don't mind if she maybe dies and they get rid of this problem? They definitely don't mind. Yeah. So I thought maybe that was more the motivation. <laughs> they definitely don't mind. I mean, she even questions it. She's like, you have my notes. Go nuts, yeah. guys. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like, uh, the movie isn't self-aware about the absurdity of sending her back. Right. And she says, I'm, I'm not military. What do you need me for? Yeah. But they want to bring her as a, uh, consultant. consultant. Um, I think that, you know, it's more that they want to make sure that the person who has seen this impregnation process knows what to look for, sees it happen again. I think yeah. that was a factor there because as we find out later in the film, the whole mission is actually about capturing one of these things. And bringing along. them back, yeah. right. So yeah, so we meet our military crew. Yep. They all wake up, get to play with their weapons. They're very cool weapons. Uh, the very iconic uh, smart gun that the two gunners carry is a uh, mm -hmm. German machine gun from World War II, an MG42 on a steady cam. Oh, that's all I didn't, it is. would have never known that. Yeah, it's just a, a steady cam operator. And um, James Cameron is one of like the first people to really, really, uh, other than um, it was the steady cam was developed for The Shining, um, and Cameron was a huge proponent of its use. Mm. Um, actually, uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I have a loose connection through a teacher of ours at SVA to his steady cam operator. Um, mm who operated on the Terminator and their forward actually has always been the guy, but um, they must've just had them around and said, they must've been looking at that and said, you know, what would be neat. <laughs> yeah. Put a gun on it. Two interesting tidbits about like the scene and the military crew, I guess they were sent to some sort of training like yeah. the actors were, and they didn't send Sigourney Weaver and a bunch of the actors were pissed about it. Yeah. Because like she was the star and she didn't have to go, but the reason for it was so that they could sort of bond and she was kind of outside of the group. You know, another movie, they say that exact same thing about saving private Ryan. Oh, really? They say that about saving private Ryan, that they sent all of the cast, the soldiers to boot camp, except for Matt Damon. Cause he wanted them to hate Matt Damon. It's again, it's what we were talking about in the alien thing. These are these tricks. Do they exist? Do they matter? Or are they just good stories afterwards? But uh, one thing that is, Definitely true is they shot this scene like last is one of the last things they shot. The waking up. Yeah, because they wanted them to have because it's a scene where you see them all together sort of joking around sort of like locker room. Yeah, version. they want them to have a real rapport like that. You know, maybe right. So they could joke with improvise each other. And impro exactly. Yeah. So that is true. They told all the, the actors who were playing the soldiers to go the Marines, the colonial Marines to go and uh, customize their kit as they see fit. And so that's why it's like got all like skulls and crosses on. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Uh, adds to the feel of authenticity. 
Um, yeah. We also meet Bishop in this scene, who is our synthetic character, which we know up front this time. It's not a surprise. Right. Lance Hendrickson's so good. And Ripley fucking wants to kill him the minute oh, she yeah. sees it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, oh, that could never happen again. We've been reprogrammed since then. And he's very sort of apologetic for her experience. He is so pleasant. Uh, Burke. Yeah. Is like, oh, oh, I totally forgot. I forgot she, there was an incident. He's like, oh, was it a, you know, I forget the model number. He's like, it was one of those models. And uh, the the Bishop character's like, yes. Oh, that that was a line of, we had a lot of problems with them. We, yeah. You know, <laughs> I totally understand your position. So she's totally mistrustful of him the entire movie. Yeah. And then we are too, I'm waiting for him to prove her right in a way. Right. Fair enough. Instead. Just the opposite, you know, right. he goes well above and beyond throughout the film. So, sure. um, very, very cool. Like Cannon has a real knack for fucking cool shit. Uh, the drop ship, <laughs> uh, coming in the pilot again, always ladies who are badasses. That pilot mm-hmm. is fucking badass. Um, and, uh, uh, just, you know, everything about that model. So the other thing, like, and I, I, I don't know, I don't know when I was going to throw this in here, but like this movie's about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's and there's like a whole genre of like so many of these 80s action movies were about vietnam yeah this movies about vietnam rambo is obviously about vietnam it's literally about vietnam lethal weapon is about vietnam mm-hmm. um uh, uh commando is about Viet- like it goes on and on and on these movies are actually about vietnam yeah. But it's not even like hidden here. Like they're the, the dropship looks like a Huey. But also the crew does, I don't remember at what point, but if it's after they really know the danger of these things, but like, why should we care? Why are we going? Why does this yep. colony matter? If they're wiped out, they're wiped out. Why, why do we need to do something about it? Yeah. Who are we here to help? These people don't even exist yeah. versus right. version of these people don't want our help. Um, right. And then, you know, you always hear guys say we could have won in Vietnam, but like the rules said we, you know, because of the, uh, the rules of engagement, we didn't win. Oh, guys, we're going to need all of your ammunition. Uh, we can't be using live rounds in here. It's flamethrowers only. What the fuck yeah. are you talking about, man? You know? Well, and then even then, it's like the flamethrowers they're not allowed to use because they figure out that, like, the reason they had all gone underground is something's wrong. Something's like if the heat is bad, fire is bad at some point. I don't think I don't recall that. Is that right? No, they they go underneath the reactor unit and they. Yeah. They say we can't use guns, flamethrowers only. It was established they couldn't use guns because of the acid. No, they don't care about that shit at all. It's they were worried. Flamethrowers were also taken away. They were worried about the ricochets and their they use explosive rounds and stuff like that, um, damaging the reactor and causing a meltdown. Mm, Uh, Okay, they were unconcerned with the acid. They have two flamethrower units in the squad. Oh, I am versed on this shit. And so only two people are <laughs> armed except for Hicks, who brings a double barreled shotgun for close encounters um, uh, of his own and uh, secretly still has that ammunition. And then uh, so they don't have any guns. And then Vasquez and Drake reveal that they secretly kept the batteries for their smart guns. They don't unload their ammo. They pull their batteries so they don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they open up fire. And that's when, you know, you've got that moment where uh, uh, their Lieutenant Gorman is like, who's firing? Who's firing? Cease fire down there. And like, they're just like, they're up to their fucking knees in the shit, man. They're just like right, trying right. not to get killed. Um, right. And they're all still worried about like, what are the rules here? So, I mean, I don't, 
I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we could have won in Vietnam if we didn't obey the rules, but I know that was a sentiment that was going around yeah. at the time. Um, and these rules are a little different. These rules are, if you do this, you will, d- we're trying to keep you alive. Kind of. If you yeah, do this, yeah. you will die. Yeah. But it also comes from Burke, who's trying to protect the equipment. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> there's even like the, uh, when- but she points it out. She, he's like, what's no, what's wrong. Right. We'll shoot. We'll do this. We'll do this. And then she points out yep. that the, the real That's problem. Right. And then he's suddenly like, oh, no, 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 That's no. Right. And has the guy confiscate all of their weapons. She is a, um, she's an expert on that stuff. That's her piece. Of, that's <laughs> well, I think that they're the, I think they even say how did, when she says, how did you make it habitable? He's like, same shit you guys were using. It's a world, uh, mm. world reclamator machine or whatever it is. The reactors that make atmosphere, same stuff you guys were doing, you know, it's the same technology. So I think that there's like a, something there where she's actually connected to understanding how that machine works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, if I'm not mistaken on the Nostromo, she was the safety officer. I think. Is that what she was? Okay. I think Ripley was ship safety officer. Yeah. Which is why she's like the hell no, I'm not letting you back on my goddamn yeah, spaceship. Exactly. <laughs> and then later it's just like, why even have a ship safety officer? You're just going to do it. Also want. before that scene, we meet Newt who is, a child who's been hiding inside of the ship and staying alive so on her own. So good to meet her cold. Oh my god! In she's in the director's cut in the pro, in Act right, One, okay. and so you just think she's dead, and then oh, she's alive. So much better to not even expect her. So much better. No, yeah, yeah. You you think you're about to have your first encounter with a face hugger, or some sort of alien, and it's it's not. It's this little girl. Ninety nine percent of the time, show don't tell is better. Uh huh. Except for in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're trying to build tension, having a character tell you about this thing that is difficult to relate back. I don't know. It it makes it, I think it makes it more threatening. Her and knowing about these creatures, because I think we've seen a few at that point. Um, no, no, maybe not. I don't think so. I think you're scared the noise is the first time you're about to have an encounter. I mean, it is showing as well, though. Like you're seeing her in the fucking what is a, essentially a sewer, a garbage chute. She's covered in filth. Who knows? Right. She's, she's so dirty, young. Yeah. How long has she been living there in right. this, you know, the thing, everybody's dead. I have bad dreams inside of the head of this doll. Like, you know, oh my God, this poor kid. That is, I don't know. There's something about not, about that coming from cold out of the blue um, without any knowledge that there was ever anybody alive here. This ghost, this catacomb, you know, I don't, it, yeah. it feels better it's just better it hits harder and then you do at first i wasn't sure i was gonna like this and i'm i end up really liking it but you develop ripley's character you differentiate her more you give her another motive um and you humanize her in a way that um you know you give her another character who's been through it the only other person who can possibly understand what she understands yeah um but also you make her a mother. Sure. But uh, I like that. I like because the other way to go with this is she's a badass. So she doesn't care about this child because Ripley's a badass, you know, and it's like, no, she's both. She has to be she both. both yeah. She has to be the nurturer and the badass. And yeah. I like that a lot. Could totally be both. Because that's a commentary about a lot of like successful women in movies is they're not allowed to also be nurturing. You have to be one or the other. Interesting. You have to be one or the other. And in this movie, she's both. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like somebody said, oh, let's make sure, you know, it just seems like, of course, 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they're just writing it down. Like, and of course that, you know, every, that's like when I say, like, I don't like to see the writer's hand, every single beat in this movie, of course, it feels like it was informed by the scenario, the characters, the setting, like that's exactly who that, what that character is going to do in that situation. That's the role that character yeah. is going to fall into. Nobody was deciding what would, what would be the thing to do in the, from a film perspective, yeah. you know, even sort of the flirty disposition that starts to happen between her and Hicks yeah, just feels like they're on the same page. They've got each other's backs. They trust each other implicitly. And then you've got Hudson who is like spazzing out yeah. and they're both just like this guy and they bond the flirty disposition between Hicks though. I always read it as he's a, he's a teenage boy. And she is the hot English teacher. And she's like <laughs> not really sure how to like, okay. He's older though. Yeah, but she's, you know, 130. They're, they're the same age. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Sure. Here, use vampire rules. You know, I mean, like, I, I there's something, <laughs> there is something kind of. But she doesn't have those years of wisdom. She's been asleep. There's something in her her response to him. And I'm not going to be able to put my finger on it. That feels a little bit like they still look, huh? All right. All right. (laughs) Didn't know I was still catching some glances. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but it's also just like, I don't know. For me, I like it because in intense situations, you can bond with someone you have respect and trust for speed. Oh, speed, 100%. Relationships built on intense situations seldom work out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's their whole thing. That's like, the end of the movie. we're going to try it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this goes back to t- multiple recordings ago, but I guess when Sandra Bullock turned down Trinity and then found out Keanu Reeves was going to play um, Neo, she was really bummed because she likes him a lot. And actually, I've heard her say in interviews that if of all of her love interests, if she ever like, thought about dating anyone in real life it would have been keanu like she likes him a lot they have a good friendship she also liked that motorcycle guy which guy the the west coast choppers guy she was like in a long-term relationship with like this this biker dude sure uh (laughs) who i think kind of sucks but anyway um the the uh uh the other reason too from a career standpoint boy if you can like establish like a cinematic duo Sure. That's a power play. You know, it's another Reeves and uh, uh, Bullock p- pick. You know, we can make a lot yeah, of movies yeah, off yeah. the strength of that. Yeah, that was a big mistake. You she got been like in there. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts have a couple, only two really, but uh, Myrna Loy and William Powell. Like it's a, it's a tradition that goes way back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The flirting. The flirting there never rises above. Which even makes it more believable. Like yeah. To your point, like it's natural. It's not force. It's believable. You're not waiting for this big moment where they make out or go have sex in like one no. of the bunkers. Like it doesn't, it's not that it's, it's just very subtle. And I like it a lot. There's a moment, I think if I'm not mistaken, where he like reaches around her to show her how to arm the grenade launcher. And, uh, it's a little bit of like the the how to swing a golf club bit, you know. Sure, like pool table gets bit, up yeah. behind. Yeah, exactly. And she kind of gives him a look of like for real. He's like, no, no, no. Wait, hold on a second.
So the thing about that is that she, the, one of the main reasons she didn't want to do the movie, as I understand, it, is because she is extremely anti-gun and didn't want to mm. touch a gun. Um, and I can respect that. I am a uh, hard anti-gun myself. Um, and it's actually something I criticize uh, uh, the, our boy Keanu about a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, although I gave him a lot of, I thought it was very interesting in Matrix 4 that like he just hands. <laughs> he went, right, he never touched guns him. to just, just like magic hands. Um, but the, um, uh, yes, so uh, I guess. There's, I was reading in the book that Cameron wrote. That's one of the reasons, one, A, why the flamethrower is so prominent in the film. Because mm. it's not a gun. Mm-hmm. And he knew he needed her to like actually use a pulse rifle at some point in the movie. And uh, he said he took her to a range and, and somehow convinced her to shoot it. And his, his quote in The uh, the Futurist, the, the, uh, the biography about him was, once I saw her smile after firing that Thompson submachine gun, knew I had her. And thought another liberal bites the dust. <laughs> James Cameron, sure, yeah. whatever. So Cameron <laughs> is a very unique kind of. I don't. I don't even think he would be a conservative anymore. He was like a super like uh, save the planet, extremely green. He just likes cigars, guns, and cars, but he's very concerned about climate change, pollution, and like social issues. <laughs> I, I, he doesn't strike in. I don't know if he's just checked it. He hasn't come up for air or something. He hasn't checked. Yeah, in he's like detached. Yeah. He doesn't realize that what he is is not anymore a conservative. I think. <laughs> right, right, right. Also, this money was wise, this was also financial, fiscal conservative. Uh, he's like a um, well. I mean, he's a. Um, a Schwarzenegger conservative, you know, those yeah, two are sure. besties. So economic girly man. Wasn't that Schwarzenegger? I know. I don't think really, that sounds great, but I don't remember. He did say it. Yeah. He said about it. what? At a convention <laughs> about the Democrats. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair um, enough. I like that. <laughs> things, you know, when you grew up in a conservative family, it's a hilarious line. Um, <laughs> He also spoke out against conservatism a couple years ago as well. Like, well, now he has, yeah. yeah. They weren't Nazis back then, so right, right, different, different brand. Yeah. So now they go into more survival. Well, no, before they go into survival mode. Yep. Rip, Ripley and Newt go to bed one night. Yeah. And wake up to a face hugger in their room. Yes. And derive that. What's his name? Burke. That Burke. Was trying to impregnate them. Yep. Uh, with aliens, so he could sneak them back. So what is the? He's sent to do this, but he also knows he's got to sneak them back onto the ship. He can't just bring one back. He has to like put it in them. Too dangerous. How do you capture one? They're impossible to capture. So if you have, just- but they have a couple living ones still, don't they? That are captured. Where? No. Yeah, they like walk into that room, and there's all those tanks. Oh. Um- on the planet, they had collected dead um, facehuggers. They had them in like. I thought there were still a couple ones that were alive. Oh, uh, maybe there was one that like, yeah, like jumped at it, him, her yeah. in, the, in the glass. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't there like- was some reason, or maybe like this was his idea. He was like, maybe going to sneak them on to like raise his status in the company or something. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, he was going to bring them back impregnated and asleep. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was doing a terrorism. Maybe he was planning to destroy the company. Maybe he was doing a terrorism. <laughs> Just turn him loose and see what happens, baby. Um, 
I thought it was interesting. I saw in an interview, Cameron said one thing he would do differently if he was making aliens again is he would never have written Burke to be so courageous. He would have been like a hundred times more spineless. Cause like he is pretty spineless. He's a he's a snake, but the dude takes huge risks. Like he puts himself mm. into the middle of this firefight. He's down there, True. man. He's got his hands in the blood and the guts but trying to steal when, this alien. When the alien shows up, he locks them all in with it. Doesn't want to die. Free. Yeah. Right. But you know, I mean, like he's saying, I, I wouldn't even put him there. <laughs> yeah. He'd be on the phone, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. He also, yeah, he does say like, Someone wants it to bring him back because he thinks he's going to become rich because he's bringing back a military asset that they can, you know, do what how we got into this whole thing, right. uh, presumably got into this whole thing in the first place by having a bunch of eggs aboard a ship and dropping them where you want to drop them. You know, what everybody, almost everybody dies. We get to the most iconic fight scene ever, I think. Ripley in the power loader versus the alien queen on the spaceship. She has to go and save Newt. That's a big deal. Right. They're almost out. Yeah. In this movie, and this is not established in the first one, you find out that they're actually taking people alive back to the hive, uh, like sealing them to a wall with chitin and impregnating them to increase their numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. That is like the life cycle of them in this movie. The facehuggers are laid by a giant queen. Then the workers go out, capture people, bring them back to the hive for impregnation. That's the process. Um, so they find a lot of people who are still alive. Yeah. They find that one. Yeah. And she's in act one that was cut as well. Like everybody's okay, in there. Yeah. So Newt gets captured. She's got to go capture Newt. She goes down there armed to the teeth. Everybody tells her she's crazy. Well, cause they're almost off. And this is where you also get your ticking time clock of like yes. 10 minutes yes. to get to safe distance. Yeah. The thing is going to explode. Uh, we, what's his name? Um, Bishop pilots. He like Mm -hmm. crawls through this tunnel for like a thousand miles and then pilots the, uh, 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 the drop ship in by remote, the second one, so they can get out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Hicks is wounded at this point. He's kind of out of commission. So it's Hicks, Bishop and Ripley and Newt. That's we're down yeah, to those four. Because Vasquez and Hudson get stuck in a tunnel and she reveals that she also kept one of her little grenade things yeah. and she blows them up they, they, along with the alien. It's not Hudson. It's Gorman, the lieutenant, the guy who they all hated who was kind of spineless. Oh, I thought that's where Hudson died with her. No, Gorman. I think they does. were together no, and they big, kind of look at each other. It's and a have big a moment, moment because Gorman is the lieutenant that they hated the whole time. He's like kind of a okay. dweeb and it's like a big moment that like Gorman and Vasquez connect i actually i'm not gonna lie i kind of forget how hudson dies i think some alien just jumps out of a ceiling and pulls him up and that's it he's gone okay yeah um he's a i think he has a fairly unceremonial death but his big moment is the game over man because their spaceship game over man that's it man game over man game over well their only way off the planet just got blown up and so i know but i think you'd be pretty despaired as well i would but he's annoying Fair <laughs> I think he kills that character. He would not yeah. help. He would not help me feel any better. No, he wouldn't. That's what happens <laughs> when people panic. They become useless. Yeah, I know. Um, he's useless. He's panicking. He's he's battle fatigued. All right. Rescue Ripley. We get back to the spaceship. We think we're safe. We blow it up. So many things I want to talk about here as well about the effects in this movie. Uh, boom. It's not over, man. We still got this alien on the spaceship with us. And Right. Always. 
always get the power loader fight. Get away from her, you bitch! Oh my god, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get away from her, you bitch! It's so funny too because she always said like, "I look so powerful in that scene." Um, but in reality, I'm like standing on this very large man's feet, like I'm dancing with dad, you know, and I just feel so tiny. <laughs> I'm just a little girl in this thing. <laughs> it's wild. Because uh, like, that's how they built it. It's like, it's a dude. She's just like stand sitting on the lap of some guy, like essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what a great effect. Um, and huge, awesome fight. Um Bishop Bishop pulls his weight, sacrifices himself. Yeah, ripped yeah. in half. Although not dead, he's just ripped in half. No, yeah, he's he's, he's a robot. Going to be salvageable. Does he come back in the next movie? I think he actually says, "I'll never be salvageable. Um, I'll, oh, I'll well. never, I'll never be, um, I'll never be full function. I'll never be top of the line. I forget what it is, but like he says something to the effect of like, I, be the same again. I'll never be the same again. Yeah, like." Yeah. Maybe I can do something, but um, yeah, they'll never put me all the way back together. But they do throw him into hypersleep. They do. They throw them all. They all get into hypersleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and, that, and that's how it ends. They, it ends the same way the last one did with them in hypersleep leaving. Yep. And who knows where from there? Well, we do know because Alien 3 came out and the opening of that movie was such a fucking betrayal. Oh, no. Yeah, you don't speak highly of that movie Nobody ever. Does. Nobody yeah, does. It's terrible, huh? I mean, I liked it when it came out because it was an alien movie and I thought it had some cool ideas in it, but I was also pretty young and not thinking yeah. and very uncritical about things that I thought I was going to like. I thought it was pretty incredible that Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Best Actress. I didn't know that, but movie. that is incredible. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, it's a sci-fi. Yeah. It's action and it's a sequel. Yep. I think that's pretty phenomenal. Yep. Yeah, best actor, best actress now is solidly in the realm of a genre of movie I would call Oscar bait. This is like a real mm-hmm. movie. This is a regular movie. Or just yeah. a movie, yeah. yeah. I I think we'd do so much better with awards if we actually cared about different types of movies. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Can we talk about some production stuff? Because holy sure, dooly. Yeah, please. So they shot this in England at Pinewood Studios, which is the same place that they shot Alien. This crew is attached to the studio like that's how it works it's not like you put together a crew and then load them into a soundstage at you know soundstage seven at warner brothers soundstage seven has the soundstage seven crew so it's like the same people who worked on alien now working for this american director terminator hasn't even come out in england yet so they have no fucking clue who he is um and he's like a psycho he works like a maniac he doesn't believe in sleep he's out of his fucking mind they have yeah. like a very kind of specific way they like to work over there. And he didn't get to pick his assistant director. It came with the studio, like all of this stuff. So there was a lot of contention here. And the assistant director, um, I haven't definitely was fomenting a mutiny um, and actually did mutiny. He, he walked off and, and took the crew with him. Cameron had to lock the doors. And like, it sounds to me in all these accounts, like it might've turned into a fist fight. Like it was pretty serious. Yeah. Cameron didn't understand that like tea time was lunch. He just thought like this is some stupid ass shit that Brits do. Um, (laughs) He didn't realize like that is their lunch break. And 
Yeah. And so he was like, what do you need? Fucking, we need teas and cakes now. What the shit is this? Well, and they also, they've always had a different shooting culture over there. Yeah. Now I, I hear people always be like, they will just put down their equipment and leave at a certain point, Hell yeah. which is shocking to American producers, but it's like, that's how it should be everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of what the union, I mean, and I would imagine that does happen on a union job, but I don't know. I mean, or it can happen at least. No, because they just get paid overtime here. Well. So they'll stay because they're getting time and a half and then double time. That's fine. As long as you're getting that. I mean, I've been on gigs where like, hey, there is no overtime. Keep working it's anyway. Whoa. fine until it's every day That's and right. the money becomes yeah. useless because you right. have no life. Yeah. What am I going to do with this fucking cash? Right. And you think like, well, I'll take some downtime. No, you won't. You're going to take that next job because you need to stay working so that you stay connected and get called for the next job. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks. So big mutiny. Cameron won them over. Um, they figured it out. They got a way to work. They worked through it. Um, he had a huge budget for effects and they're sending dailies back to Fox dailies. They're sending dailies back to Fox and they're freaking out because they're not seeing any of these effects shots that they're paying for. And he was baffled. He was like, what do you mean? You're seeing them. They're all over the, they were so good. I mean, a lot of them are done in camera that Mm -hmm. you don't even see them. You know, um, the one that he cites as being the one he pointed out is like when there's that pan up, you see the Marines walking away and it pans up and you see like all of this, like the whole thing's been taken over by like alien chitin, you know, it's like a hive that's grown over it. That chitin thing, the roof that they're looking at is like 18 or 36 inches long and it's Mm. real close to the camera and they're way far away. And when we pan up, it just lines up and they're, you know, they know their eye lines to look in the right spot. And you've got somebody in the foreground matching their flashlights with the little local. It's like old school force perspective filmmaking. Yeah. Um, all done in camera. That's very cool. Yeah. And a lot of it was right. And there's a little bit of compositing in it. Um, and it's not very good where it is actually, actually I'm going to stand back. There's not a lot of compositing in it. There's something else. So, and I know this from reading his book as well. I just remembered this front screen projection front screen projection was so you've heard of rear screen projection where Mm -hmm. you have your actors standing in front of a screen and they've got a camera that's synchronized to the camera you're filming with that projects an image up onto the back of that screen it's because it's through a screen it's never super bright it never feels very like you can always kind of tell just for a number of reasons um cameron had known or heard that i forget where he heard this that on 2001 a space odyssey they use something called front screen projection but that nobody knew how it worked he fucking figured out how it worked um mm. and he figured out the way it works is that 3m makes this hyper reflective material that they use in um like street signs and you have to build a whole fucking wall of this shit and then you synchronize a projector right under your lens right um to the camera that's shooting and you shoot it straight at your actors so as long as it's lined up, there is no shadow because if the way perspective works, you don't see the shadow. And because of exposure levels, the stuff that you're exposing for what's reflecting back and the lights that's on your face, the projected image that falls onto your actor's face is way outside of your exposure value range. So it's just invisible. It doesn't actually mm-hmm. exist. And so that's how he was doing a lot of those composite shots. Um, a key one is when like all the stuff's exploding behind her on the elevator as they're trying to get out of there. They did obviously tons and tons and tons of model work. You'd be surprised yeah. to know how much of that stuff is not like tiny models, but like right. models that are like, you know, a 20 foot model or something like that. The, um, the crazy tank thing that they drive around in is yeah. a, uh, it's like this super 
heavy vehicle for towing airplanes around at an airport, like for towing 747s. And like, there's no room inside of it anywhere. There's just the driver's seat and like 40,000 pounds of lead or something like that. But Jeez. it's such a cool look with those giant wheels on the sides of it. I love it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of things in this movie really reminded me of like Avatar. He really took them to the next level oh, yeah. in Avatar. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's the thing that you're inside of. That's kind of the forklift. The, the mech thing. Yeah. He was big on it. Yeah. He, he's like a big anime fan apparently too. I mean, that's why he made mm. Battle Angel, Alita. It mm-hmm. was like he wanted to make that or Avatar was like his next project. And that's why. I don't know if people remember this, but like in the early mid two thousands, three D was the shit. Three D movies. Oh, I remember them trying to bring it back. Yeah, it was James Cameron. Oh, uh, yeah, you've talked about this. Yeah, he was selling every studio who he could and doing demos on it all over the place. Three D technology because he felt that like he had figured out how to make three D movies really cool, really viable again, and like <laughs> better than they ever had been before. Because specifically. He wanted to make Avatar in 3D and allegedly he spent like, I don't know, 15 years on this, like while he was doing his other stuff, his documentaries and just being like, nope, 3D, we don't have enough theaters ready yet. We don't have enough theaters ready for 3D uh, before he could make Avatar. And and then I had to go see it. I was like, this is crazy. I got to see this movie. Yeah. The 3D was nice. It worked well. You know, I mean, like, that's all I got to say. It's not. It's my... the newest one. Is the water one that just came out in 3D? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's in 3D so. if you have the Somewhere. ability to see it in 3D. I would be shocked if it wasn't in 3D. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, there's another shot in that movie I really like, too. And I got this from the director's commentary. So you were talking about when they were in that room and the face hugger jumps, I think mm-hmm. it gets, its, it gets its tail around Ripley. Uh-huh. Yeah. It almost not, gets her. They couldn't figure out how to do this shot. Mm-hmm. And he was like, we're going to do it in reverse. And the whole cat crew was like, that'll never work. There's rain in the scene from the sprinkler. You can see it. And anyway, it's going to look fake. He's like, no, it's going to be great in reverse. We're going to do it in reverse. Um, he's like, move this, this shot, that shot, and then reverse. He's like a big advocate of, um, He's like a, a hardcore, everybody is now, but at the time, his level of storyboarding was a little bit beyond the norm. Um, nobody thought it was going to work. Uh, he said, and he's like 100% right. You cannot tell it's backwards. He says, at the shutter angle we're going to shoot this at, the water droplets hitting the ground are just going to be visual noise. You won't be able to tell which way the drops are moving mm. or not. The drops in the air are just going to be visual noise. You won't be able to see them falling down or going up. It won't matter. Right. So he knew that we can adjust the shutter angle and shoot this under the correct lighting conditions. Um, and this reversed shot will not look reversed. It'll work. And I was that's just very cool. I know. You know what I mean? Like that's why he operates his own camera, which is crazy. Yeah. Like not a lot of directors hold the camera unless the steady cam guy is operating. He's the dude with his hands on the camera which is unusual. That's pretty uncommon. Yeah, that's, that's very unusual. Yeah. A lot of people may not realize that who are not like in, you know, in the know, but like, yeah, it's, that's weird. That's not the norm. Oh yeah. You're sitting behind a screen seeing what's in the cameras most of the time, but yeah, you're never behind it. You're not operating. Most cinematographers don't operate their own cameras. That's right. Exactly. I feel like to some extent his movies have a textual authenticity to them in a way that a lot of, high concept science fiction movies. No, I think it's because they're halfway shot like documentaries. Mm. <laughs> he's out there. He's shooting it. He's over there shooting it. He's doing the fucking shit. Like he's, he's in the camera. He experiences that movie. Th- I mean, traditionally not anymore, but through the eyepiece of the refractive eyepiece of a Panavision camera, right? Like, so 
they had video taps back in the day, you know, on shooting on mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. You know, we uh, used them in college. Yeah. Is this going to be really Manny Splaney if I talk about how refract cameras work and stuff like that? Or is this something that is of interest to you? It doesn't matter if it's of interest to me. Is it of interest to our audience? I don't want to presume to to be dropping knowledge on you you don't have. We both went to film school, but I don't know if oh, camera yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. was really no. your forte. No, I didn't really do much with cameras. Do you know a lot of people think that you're the camera woman for how to drink? <laughs> well, it's not. That's we've we've done that by because I click some buttons, but yeah. I'm not operating the camera now. I've also been told that you're the editor. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith is the camera woman and editor of the show. Incredible. Thanks. Sure, I'll take all the. I do everything that. No, I wonder if they think that because Rachel edited a lot of episodes of the show. Back I think in a the lot day. of people think that. Hey, if there's two people in a YouTube video, those are the two people who make that's it. That's what they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So video tap, right? Like, so to get an eyepiece that you can look through in a camera, in a film camera, that light has to come through and hit the film. How do you look at it? You can't look through the back of film. It's solid. It's opaque. So you have to have a mirror. And oh yeah. So in a film camera, there's a wheel that is your shutter that spins and part of it has a mirror on it. And when the light hits that, it's not hitting the this film. It's going up the tube uh, through like an eyepiece, which has its own lens on it and stuff like that. So I do think that there's something to be said from the fact that like, even back in the nineties, most directors were seeing their movie on a video tap or over the shoulder of a camera operator. He was experiencing his film through the lens optically in real time without any video interpretation happening between him and the action. He was looking at light coming out of the lens, the glass. I don't know if that matters. Maybe it does. I, you know what I mean? Like maybe that changes the way the movie comes out. Maybe that changes your approach to filmmaking. Maybe that changes your relationship to your understanding of the geometry of the action. You know, it's much more. Yeah. Your, your hands on, you know, I don't know. He probably wanted to be hands on so he could make real time decisions. Yeah. So I think that has a huge effect too. I think it's just maybe also the way he learned how to direct, to, to make movies. He's also, yeah, he started out in the def- effects department for Roger Corman, which mm-hmm. was like B movie place. Um, they made like a thousand science fiction movies a week over there. So, um, he did like a ripoff of Star Wars called Battle Beyond the Stars, which was the, <laughs> like, that's what Roger Corman, a lot of Roger Corman movies are just ripoffs of expensive movies. Um, and then he was also famous for when he put a movie out, they would put up 10 movie posters or whatever in the lobby of the movie. Theater oh, that's it. Yeah. And, and then, see which ones people looked at. And then they would figure out, okay, which movie is that? Like, let's make that movie. I don't have a script. I don't even know what it is. It was just a title and a picture. Uh, but like, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. So we'll figure out a movie for that poster. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. That is great. It's yeah, fantastic. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I mean, Corman less successful than than uh, Cameron, but he's made a lot more movies than him. So, like, sure. several hundred more. Uh, <laughs> different different type of filmmaking. Yeah. My final effects comment: the the shot of the the dropship flying away with the mm-hmm. explosion, the nuclear bomb going off in the background. It is a sheet of glass with a hole cut through it. They covered the glass in puffy little cotton balls uh, mm. all the way over the hole. They put an incandescent light bulb under the sheet of glass. They turned it on, put it on a dimmer, and raised it up through the glass while turning the dimmer and letting it ex- overexpose onto the lens, probably shooting through like a black pro mist or something like that. So it halos out. And that's how you create a nuclear explosion from above uh, in a practical effect, all in one shot. Beautiful. And then I think they did do an optical print to get the uh, the spaceship into the shot. 
I know that actually, because when they were scoring it with James Horner, um, James Horner was like trying to get his cues right. And they had like Cameron gave him like a week to score this whole movie. He was like really pissed about it. Um, it was like something about scheduling and budgets where it was just like, that's the way it's going to be. Sorry, man. Like 20th century Fox is just as fault here as my am. Sure. Because who spent all the money? No, it was, I mean like they changed like the release date or something. It was like insane. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, uh, he was like, I, James, I don't know the cue. I don't know when the thing comes by. I don't know how to do this. And he's like, I know it. And he just grabbed a broomstick and like taped the thing to it and just ran through the room as the plate, you know, just the explosion went by, uh, and they cued to that. Now in the book, that sounds really crazy, but like how many ways was it going to go? You know, yeah. and if it was off a little bit, would you have noticed? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, a sound yeah. effect. It's right. a music swell. So, right, right, right. you know, I mean, I just think that's a funny story. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Want any more? No, I think we're good. I can keep I talking about this movie. I know you can. It's <laughs> I it's it's a good one. I will revisit it at some point. I think we're gonna go through every year, Rachel and I choose like a, a director. Horror. Oh. No, we choose like a horror franchise to start at the beginning of, and then we watch it kind of through Halloween season. We did Freddy Krueger last year, which was a lot of fun. So this year it's either like Alien or Jason. Well, I'm going to tell you, Alien's not really a horror franchise. I guess not. Yeah, it's more of an action franchise. Yeah, one of them is a horror. It starts as horror. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron rewrote that. He flipped the script on that. Flip the script. I love this movie. Uh, This was definitely like looms large in my childhood. This is definitely, like I said, the movie that probably most made me want to make movies at some point in my life. Mm -hmm. Not that I ever really did. I mean, I made some shorts and student films, but I guess is how to drink a movie. Not really. No, it's something. But you know it's what I mean? Yeah, it got me on this path that I'm on. Sure. Um, it seemed like a lot of fun. It seemed like these were grownups who got to make cool things and act cool and play with neat toys and stuff. You know, like I always wanted to do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what I mean, and you. I like Alien better, I think, just because it's a different sort of movie. This, I feel like, fits in the camp of a lot of action movies i don't know if really is set apart from other action movies i will say like it's definitely more fun i like ripley's character more in the second movie i get more of who she is and get more personal with her uh yeah there was like a moment where i was like man i'd put ripley on like our name our name list like she's such a badass i saw that (laughs) uh in your notes actually also not a normal name, Ripley. Neither is Sigourney. No. Sigourney's a weird ass name that, that her parents apparently just name. made up. It's like I was like, oh, it must be. Is it? Right, you've never met another Sigourney. Well, I was like, is it like cultural? Is it like you know maybe it's Welsh or something? No, her parents just yeah. kind of made it up apparently. <laughs> <laughs> just put put sounds together. Yeah. Um, but I like this movie a lot. I definitely like. I was ready. If I didn't know that the third movie was a nightmare, I would have put on the next one like i was ready to just start rolling through the action movies and that's how we all felt we were so excited when that third one came out and i don't want to i don't know should i spoil how it opens or do you want to do it for the pod for the pod go ahead go ahead you can say how it opens it's it's not dire they wake up ripley a face hugger apparently was on the ship and it killed uh um somehow like i think it like bled acid through the pods or whatever. So Newt and um, 
uh, uh, Hicks's pods were compromised and like they've just been decomposed to dust. They're like dead for hundreds of years. Uh, Bishop is after all of that. Exactly. It's like and like you're so excited let down. for more Hicks. Like he's so cool, man. Michael Bay yeah. is so cool in those movies back. Oh, he's so cool. You just wanted to be Hicks. Just recast Newt. We all understand. It's fine. No, it's not the movie he wanted to make. Fincher wanted him dead. Uh, and Bishop does come back, but like as a torso. So, yeah. So, yeah, you wanted her to keep her alone, the lone warrior. And she lands on a prison planet filled with like castrated men who are like monks slash convicts. It's real weird. Um, mm. It's like th- there's a lot of weird religious overtones and they like smelt lead or something they have like a, yeah. a foundry i don't know it's a strange I wonder why she she agreed to do that one when she had to be so convinced to do the second one uh well it's i don't money, think the, money first yeah one i don't think there's a gun in it two i think that like um no i won't do that job is really cool when you're young and then you realize why am i so precious about this like they want me mm. to make it you know there's something to be said for other people get to work you know, every time an actor digs their heels in and won't do the movie, if the movie doesn't get made, that's a lot of people who go out of work. Yeah, All those right, crew people right, don't yeah. get the gig, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that ended up being sort of how Keanu felt about Matrix 4. I right. have heard is like, well, it's jobs for people, so I'm not going to, as long as you bring the crew members back, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Like, why would, sure. Yeah. Just making everybody else's life worse. Anyway, this has been Midnight Local. Yep. Thank you to Annie Villalobos, our producer. Thank you. I'm sorry. My brain, like, I just blew <laughs> a fuse. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and to Heather Vaughn, who did the artwork that you see uh, on YouTube, our thumbnails and and our icon on where you get your podcasts. And to Studio 71, our partner in the whole thing. Thank you to all of them. They're all such lovely people. Yes. Thank you. And um, I don't know. I don't have any funny quip to say about Epidemic Sound. Just... Uh, we use your music. We do that. And we pay you. You're welcome.